All right. We are in 2 Peter. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have a bunch that we would love to loan you. LJ has a stack, and you can just wave your hand at him, and he'll get you a Bible so you can follow with us. Uh, Again, if you're visiting, you're new, welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning for us here at Calvary Okinawa. The way that we go through the scriptures is we, we go systematically. So it's just, we go um, by a book of the Bible and then we go by chapter, each chapter. And we actually go then verse by verse, even line by line and word by word. So uh, that's what we're doing. We find ourselves in verse 12 of chapter one this morning. So you can be in second Peter chapter one. We'll pick up, pick up at verse 12. Um, especially if you're new, I realize if you're, if you're not familiar with second Peter, it may seem a little odd. So I'll make sure I try to give you the context of what Peter's writing about. Um, but I entitled our message this morning, good to remember. And it's really what Peter is going to say. Uh, it's just good for us to remember. So if you're there, I'd like to invite you to stand. It's something that we do in honor of God and his word. Uh, practically gets us to stretch our legs a little bit. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. We have different Bible versions, and so you can do your best to follow along as I read aloud. Peter writes for us, he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this tent, or your Bible might say this body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, or he's going to depart from this life. He says, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things, even after my decease. So three times in those verses, he uses some form of the word reminder or reminding. And so for us, it's good to be reminded. It's good to remember. All right. Josh prayed for us already. Would you take a moment, maybe greet your neighbor, say hello to somebody new, introduce yourself, and then you can have a seat. I I think it's a universal truth. At least I, I, I think it's one and maybe a truth that we would agree with. And that is that by nature, my supposition is that human beings are forgetful creatures. Um, you know, we, we tend to forget things, sometimes even important things. And, and those who study such things like memory and the mind and, and how all that works, uh, I, I found it interesting that the, their claim is that uh, elephants and dolphins have the best memory. Have you heard that before? Yeah. I, my question is, how do they know? Like, like what's the test of that? Like, like is a memory test, like flashcards, like, like how do they know that elephants and dolphins have the best memory? That, that's the thing I want to see. That's, that's a curious thing to me. But uh, apparently there are those uh, human beings who have tremendous memories and the ability to recall memories with, uh, you know, um, accuracy and detail. Uh, and if you have such a memory, sometimes it's called a, a photographic memory, or it's called an eidetic memory, where a person can recall information quickly and accurately. Anybody, anybody believe that they have a great memory? My wife sometimes claims that when we're in argument, you know, but uh, 
Just LJ? You have a good memory? Oh, yeah? All right. We'll put you to the test later. So. <laughs> I, I thought about it in, in preparation. I thought, what, what would I do with that kind of ability if I was able to have, you know, almost perfect recall of my memories and things? Uh, I mean, what, what would you do? Think for a moment. What would you do with that ability if you could do that? I think um, in one way, practically, after a while, right, no, no one would argue with you anymore. You, you know, you could prove yourself wrong. Because I think how many arguments, at least I know for me, how many arguments stem from the fact of someone not remembering things, you know, correctly or their claim to remember it one way and your claim to remember it a different way, right? I mean, so many arguments just stem from the fact of trying to remember something uh, accurately, I think a, a lot of trouble would be avoided if I didn't forget things so often. <laughs> uh, but memory is one of those weird things, at least for me, it, it just kind of hurts my brain even to think about how memory works and the function of it. I mean, because there's, on one hand, if, if you're like me, I, I can recall with great accuracy some of the most useless information that, uh, that does me no good in life. It just, maybe it's a Jeopardy question. Maybe it's a trivia thing. And I'm like, hey, I know that. Um, but then the things that are important often, I, I, I can't remember, like, I mean, I'm embarrassed. Sometimes it's, I, I just shook your hand and said, good morning to you. What's your name? And then uh, you walk away and I'm like, what was that person's name again? Like it's quickly as it comes, it, it goes, or there's been times where I'll walk into a room and I'm like, why, why did I come into this room? You know, and, or open the fridge and I'll forget what I'm looking for. And so I don't know if that happens to you, but, uh, I, I, I can't remember, uh, an appointment that I made last Thursday, which is true. I missed an appointment I had. I, I can't remember a name of a person I just met. Sometimes I can't remember Bible verse. It's just, I know the neighborhood. It's like New Testament, I think, you know, <laughs> in, 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 that, in that general vicinity, right? But man, uh, you, you want me to quote Nacho Libre? I, I'm your guy, right? Uh, I, I remember all my favorite 80s, you know, TV show characters, right? B.A. Baracus, anybody? Anybody? All right, a couple. <laughs> All right, there, there's a lot of uh, science, tons of science and studies on, on the memory and the mind and how all that works. I think it's certainly fascinating how God has designed our brains and how they function. Um, and it seems as though memory is one of those things that's like a muscle that we can, uh, it can be weakened, uh, it can deteriorate, or we can exercise it and it can be strengthened and it can be improved. Now, I have a personal theory. My personal theory is that, uh, that I think we rely on Google and the internet way too much, even try to remember things that we should already know, right? We're just quick to go to that. And like, I can't think of that name. And so let me just Google it. Um, but I think if we know the information, then, then we should try to dig it out, you know, try to stir the memory and jog the memory. And so there, there's a thing, a trick that I try to use. My wife hates it. Um, but that is when I'm trying to remember a name or trying to remember something, I'll just go through the alphabet. I'll just start with the letter A uh, and go through. And, and sometimes I get so focused on I have to remove myself from the social, social situation and hours later, I'll come back. I remember their name, but then they're gone, you know, so. <laughs> but this is exactly what Peter is writing about in these verses for us. That it, when it comes to the facts of our faith and the truth of scripture, 
that it's good for us to have our brains stirred, if you will, to have our memories jogged around so that we can remember these things that are very important. And I propose to you that God knows that we are forgetful folks, that our memories can get fuzzy. And so Peter writes to this fact and then expresses his heart to these people as he writes to them to say, this is something that I'm willing and wanting to do. And so as we consider these verses this morning, we're going to look at both the content of what he says and how that can apply to our lives today. But also I want to look at it as a, as his example of being the one that wants to stir memories and hopefully we can learn from that as well. So I draw your attention back to verse 12, where he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always. All right. We drop in, in the middle of a thought. He says, for this reason. So when we read that, we're going to like, okay, Peter, for what reason? What are you talking about? Again, if you're familiar with the letter, you know that Peter has just written about the goodness of God, the promises of God. And as you and I pursue these disciplines, as we allow the truth of the gospel and God's goodness to sink deep into our hearts, God promises that we can experience uh, a sure footing when Trials and troubles and difficulties come our way. And also that we have an assurance of the hope and the promise of heaven. That what we supply to you and me is uh, a, an entrance into the everlasting kingdom of God. Now, I, I, th- that I thought about that just this past week when we got news about Toby. And I thought, Last week we talked about this and sometimes we get to the scriptures and, and maybe they, they seem like concepts or it's a little on the ethereal side, right? Like we, we believe it, we understand it, but that concept becomes concrete when we talked about, right? When, when life sucker punches you, when the phone call comes, the news comes, and it's no longer just words on a page. It, it becomes the very thing that anchors us and anchors our heart and our soul and our life. And, and I thought about that with, with Meredith and Toby, an everlasting abundant entrance into God's kingdom was provided to him. And Toby knew the Lord. And, and the moment when he passed from this life to the next, he's ushered into heaven. And his entrance was guaranteed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And now for, for Meredith and the girls and his family and their family, what holds them? What, what ensures them to have a sure footing? Well, it's the, it's the same gospel. It's the belief and the hope of Jesus Christ to know that they're saved and to know that uh, life is life eternal. And so these are the things that Peter writes about for this reason, for this reason of the hope of heaven, for this reason of the promises of God in this life, Peter says, those things are so important. In fact, I value them so greatly that I'm not going to hold back from reminding you, even though you already know them over and over again, as often as I, 
I can, as, as often as I'm in this body and you see me, I'm going to remind you of these things, he says, though you already know them and you're established in the truth. And so for the reason of the hope of heaven, for the reason of the promises of God, he says, I'm going to remind you of these things. What are, what are these things? These things he's laid out for us. It's the foundational truths of the gospel. You can go back and read from verse one to verse 11. It is an amplification of God's grace and love in your life and mine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And what makes the good news is, well, first we got to understand the bad news. And the bad news is that all of us are sinners. And that word sin just simply means to miss the mark. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the mark of perfection. And we understand that to agree. I think if you measure yourself against other people, we think, ah, I'm better than that person. I can do this better. And if you measure yourself against me, you're going to do really well. But the bad news is I'm not the mark of measurement. I'm certainly not the mark of perfection. The measurement is God. The glory of God and the goodness of God, the perfection of God. And the Bible says, guess what? All of us fall short of that standard. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then God knows that. And in his great love and mercy, though, God sent his son, Jesus, to be born um, from a virgin. Fulfillment of Bible prophecy so that we would know that this was the Messiah to come. All of these markers, all these indicators, he fulfilled all of them. And then he lived a perfect life in your place and mine because we couldn't and we don't. And so he became a a proxy, became a substitute for you and me in his perfect life, but also became a substitute in his death. Because the very death that you and I deserve, Jesus took upon himself when he hung on a cross and he gave his life for you and me. And so right there in the opening, when Peter addresses his audience, he says, it's those of us who have obtained like precious faith by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? Jesus was perfect and he imputes to you. He credits to you his perfect standing and he takes our junky standing, right? He takes our sin. And so with that, Peter told us, well, God's given us great promises. We have a new identity. We have a new destiny. We have a new family. We have new power. We have uh, a new nature. And all of that in this package, if you will, of coming into the family of God. And, it's, and that's just on this side of eternity. The Bible says our eye hasn't seen and our ear hasn't heard. We haven't even thought of everything that God has in store for us and what awaits us on the other side of eternity. And I, and I share all these things when Peter says, for this reason, I won't be negligent to remind you of these things, though you know them. See, hopefully this is truth that you know. And we've talked before about the importance of comprehending the gospel. That, that's the baseline. That's the foundation of where we start. And, and in many ways, that's why when we study the scriptures we tend to go slow. Part of it is just because I'm slow. I'm a slow thinker. You're at the mercy of my pace. But part of it is by design to make sure as we read these things that we want to make sure we understand them, that we have this grounded in our hearts, that the word of God would dwell richly within us. 
And so we talked before because what we believe will determine how we behave. And what we think, especially what we think about God, what you think about God and his love and his grace, what you think about the gospel, it will absolutely impact the things you do, the choices you make, the places you go, the decisions that you come into. And you and I have seen when people have an, a weird and an odd and a wacky belief about God, often they will have a weird and wacky life. And so we want to make sure that we don't get these things wrong. And so we just start at the beginning. We can't even be reminded of things unless we first know them to be established in this present truth that Peter says. And so for some of you, this is baseline. And for some of you, this is reminder. This is a refresher and it's good. Christianity, if you will, a Bible 101. It's important for you and for me to be established and continue to establish ourselves in the truth of the scriptures. Ground our life on the word of God. What does that look like? In many ways, it's simple. It's read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it, repeat it, share it, live it. To establish our, our, our lives on the truth of the gospel. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says we're, we're to let the word of God dwell richly within us. And gang, I, I know we have a number of visitors and and some of you have been around for a bit and hopefully that you know this to be true for us as a church, for us as, as a, as followers of Christ, what is, what is part of our aim? Well, part of our aim here at Calvary is we want to be not only, okay, we want to be a Bible teaching, but a Bible believing. And I'm going to add this and a Bible obeying people that we teach it and we believe it and we live it. Like it has to be the whole package. And, and the word of God is our foundation. This is what we teach from. This is what we study. And we affirm, we believe in the inerrancy and the inspiration, the authority of the scriptures. And so I, I say this in love. I make no apology for that. The Bible testifies of itself that it is inspired by God. It's God breathed. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 Paul tells Timothy, here's the word of God. It's unique. It's, it's, it's unlike any other book in the world that God himself speaks life into this. And this book, as Hebrew tells us, it's alive. And it will, as Isaiah 55, 11 says, it will uh, do what God accomplishes. It wants it to do. Won't return void. And so it's profitable for us. It's good for us for instruction at times for correction. We're thinking something one way in the word of God corrects us. It, it's, it's good also for rebuke. When we're in error, we're in sin, not just that we're mistaken, but we are purposely intentionally on the wrong track. The word of God says, Hey, you're going the wrong track and equipping us. As Peter already told us all that we need for life and godliness, God has provided for us. Um, that, that verse goes on to say for every good work that God has, you know, prepared for us, we will be thoroughly prepared for that. And so 
we begin at the baseline and the baseline is to be established in the truth of the scriptures. Now notice Peter affirms this to his reader. He knew that they knew these things. He knew that they were anchored. He calls it this present truth. You're established in this present truth. And I think it's a great descriptor of God's word. It reminds us again, this is basic. It reminds us that the word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. You know, before I was a Christian, um, many, many years ago, when Jesus was a small boy, when I was in college, um, some of you guys know part of my story. You know, I, I, there was a time in my life where I wanted to be a doctor. So I was a biology major and I was on that vector going in that direction. And studying biology and science and these things. And that, that's why I thought, okay, if I can see it and test it, then it's empirical to me. That's what I believe. But there's a drive in me that I, I would tell people, I just want to know it's true. Like, I want to know it's true. And, and God says, if you want to seek truth, you'll find it. And where do we find it? Well, we find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus testifies of himself and says, I am the way. I am truth. I am life. And so here, Peter affirms that for us here, that the word of God is truth. And we live in a time and age where people want to espouse that truth is relative. That what's true for you and me, right? Isn't true for them. And you can have your truth. I have my truth. The Bible knows nothing of that. The word of God does not change. It does not change over time. It does not change over seasons. It doesn't change over kingdoms and political uh, parties. It doesn't change with geography. It doesn't change with the culture. It doesn't change with the climate. The word of God is forever. And and the Bible is a source of truth for every generation. I I like how he says... established in the present truth. We shouldn't read that as though like, okay, it was true for them presently. Now it's, there's a different truth for us later on. No, the idea is that when we read that the present truth, that means it's, it's truth today. It was truth for them that day. And it's truth for us today. When everything else around us slips and slides around and what was, you know, quote unquote medical fact, uh, three years ago, isn't today. Or what was true allegedly 10 years ago, as some purport it right now, all of a sudden, oh, we can eat butter, right? You know, whatever. The science changes. But the word of God doesn't change. And so it's good for us to know. And not only is it good for us to know, to be established in it, Peter says, it's good for us to be reminded of these things, even though we already know them. And so in verse 13, he goes on to say, yeah, he affirms himself. I think it's right. As long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm still alive, as long as I still have breath, he says, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you of these things. And so, as I mentioned before, Peter uses this word. That's the whole theme of these verses. It's remembrance. It's being reminded. Again, a lot of our learning is in the category of just being reminded of things we already know. 
it being reinforced, it being repeated. And why? Because we tend to forget things. We tend to forget important things. Guess what? We even tend to forget life-changing eternal things. God's goodness and God's graciousness. We see that example in the Old Testament. All that God did for the children of Israel and how he led them out. And then what they had, they had some memory lapse. They forgot their old life. They forgot the goodness of God. They began to grumble and complain. They thought they could do it their own way and they were disobedient. And so often we read that God had to come and remind them through the prophets, remind them through Moses, remind them through a whole book called Deuteronomy, this repeating of the things that they had already been taught. Because God knows we, we tend to be forgetful people. Our memories can get distorted. And so we fight against forgetfulness. And so what does Peter say, knowing these things? He says, I, I think it's right. As long as I'm with you, as long as I'm alive, I, I'm going to do my best to jog your memory, to stir these things up, these things that you already know. Now, I want to suggest to you the application for us. Uh, I'm going to give you two things. How does, what does this look like in our life? Well, on one hand, I, th- I think it looks like we, we remind ourselves where we rehearse and repeat the truth to ourselves. We repeat the gospel to ourselves and hopefully that would never grow stale and old. Like I, I never tire of my wife telling me how much she loves me. So how does it, what does that look like practically? It's a daily discipline. It's a regular discipline. It is to be in the word and to read and reread and meditate and memorize. Read the word of God, share the word of God, live the word of God. And the next day you get up and you do it again. And the next day you get up and you do it again and you keep on doing it. And so it's to read and reread and rehearse these biblical truths. Here in Okinawa, the, the FIBA basketball tournament's taking place. Do you guys see Japan, by the way? Amazing. They came out from deficit twice now, from behind. Anyways, amazing. But the FIBA basketball tournament's taking place there around Kadena Gate 5, that whole area. And, and, and there are teams from Slovenia and Argentina and, of course, Japan. And, and there's a whole another part of the tournament's taking place in Indonesia and then in Manila as well. Now I imagine those teams when they came, they didn't like, hey, we're going to come to Okinawa and we're going to get yakiniku and get, um, you know, Okinawa soba and just have a good time and go home. Like I would imagine at that level, they came to win. They came to play to win. They won a championship. They didn't want to come and just have a a nice tour here. You know, nice visit. But we know in the practical, right? We know that in order for how champions are made, the key ingredient of winning championships is being diligent in practice, committed to practicing where they learn the plays and they practice those plays where they practice their shooting and their shot and their passing and their screens and their picks over and over and over again, where they grind, they go over these things and they learn those plays, they rehearse those plays, they practice those plays, they execute those plays, they readjust and they keep on doing that. 
And there's a part of that too for us that if we want to experience victory in our life and the fullness of what God has for us, that we will do, we will do ourselves well. If we read and reread and rehearse and we practice, if you will, our faith, we live the scriptures, you know it, great, live it and then do it again. And that's what Peter's purporting for us. And so in one way we can apply that as we just apply it to ourselves. We get up and we read the word and we practice and we live these things. The, the other way is to be open to being reminded. If there's a Peter in your life and then Peter's uh, a Peter, if you will, speaking truth to you, reminding you the things that you know. And so I think a, another important key for us is to cultivate a teachable spirit, especially if you already know these things. That welcomes biblical reminders that welcomes these things, though we already know them. Because if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, there is a danger that you and I face. And the danger is pride. The danger is that we can say, I already know this. I've already heard that. Maybe even for some of you, you're like, I already taught that and I taught it better. Fair enough. But hopefully you'd agree with me that like the Pharisees who knew things and then they thought they knew things, they became religious snobs. They weren't teachable. And Jesus rebukes them for their hypocrisy. And so we have to be careful. We don't want to be like old wineskins. We become rigid and inflexible. But to yield ourselves to the work of the spirit and cultivate a heart that's willing to receive and, and be taught and even hear the things that we already know. It's a dangerous place to move into a place to say, I already know that. I already Tell me something I don't know. Because pride and arrogance really is just the, the doorway into sin. So I, I admire, I look in the Old Testament, I admire King David, even as an older man who had a lot of life experience, who he himself wrote scripture. And, but as an older man writing in Psalm 86, he says to the Lord, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth and give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. As an older man, as a, as a man who knew the word of God already and God spoke to him and God walked with him and, and, and he did amazing things for the Lord. And yet he had a heart that was humble to say, Lord, teach me. And so that, that's good for us. We want to cultivate a heart that's teachable. Peter says, I, I think it's good. I think it's right. As long as I'm alive, I want to stir you up. That word stir in the original Greek, it means to awaken. It's the idea that you're a little bit sleepy and someone's nudging you. Maybe someone's doing that in church right now, right? It even contain, it has the idea of being agitated. Like it's not a, a comfortable thing. You're a little bit, you're, you're put a little bit of a discomfort. And spiritually speaking, I think that's good. Sometimes we can get spiritually sleepy. We become a little stale, become a little stagnant. We're, we're living off of yesterday's manna, if you will. And what does the Lord want to do in our lives? He wants to stir us up a little. He wants to shake us up. He wants to awaken us so that we'll be fresh, that we wouldn't be stale, that we wouldn't be, you know, uh, salt without flavor. I thought about miso soup since we're here in, in Okinawa. 
You ever let your miso soup sit for a little bit? It will separate. And if you try to eat it that way, it's not so good. You got to stir that yummy goodness up, right? You got to agitate it a little. Get all those floaties going. It's so yummy. (laughs) If we sit too long, we settle, we, we will lose our flavor. And so not only is the aspect of the things that Peter writes that we can apply in, but just the example himself of being a person that stirs other people up and being receptive to that. And is there somebody in your life that you've invited to be the spiritual stirring stick for you? To keep you fresh in your walk. It's good for us to have a person like that or a community like that. I mean, that's part of why we, part of why we have these small groups. We pivoted some years ago from our midweek where it was similar to this kind of a Bible study to having small groups under one roof. Part of it was just one of our challenges of small groups is always childcare because you guys like to make babies. That's a, that's a good thing. We're really a kid's church with an adult ministry, but we already had an amazing Wednesday night, uh, toddlers and nursery. We had something for the kids. That was always the tough nut to crack. So we thought, oh, let's just mix it up a little and we'll have these small groups. But part of the small groups of connection is so that we can help stir each other up to help spur one another on, as the Bible says. And so it's good. It's good to have that person in your life. Verse 14, Peter goes on to say, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, this is an interesting thing that Peter writes. He knew that his time on earth was coming to an end soon. Now, he doesn't give us any of the details. We don't know the supporting circumstances of that statement of why he knew that. Aside from the fact that he says, just as the Lord Jesus Christ had showed me. Which, if you're familiar with the, with the Gospels, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus and Peter have this private conversation and it's many things. It's restorative, but it's also sobering because in that conversation, Jesus in one sense reinstates Peter. Peter had blown it. Remember he denied the Lord. And so the Lord in his great grace says, Hey, Peter, uh, my plans for you haven't changed. And so the calling that I have on your life still remains. You love me, then go and serve my sheep and feed my lambs and and go love them like I I commissioned you to do. And so that's one part of it. The other part of it is he says something kind of shocking to Peter. And he he says, Peter, and my paraphrase, I'm going to drop something on you right now. It might be a little shocking. Most assuredly, I'm going to tell you that when you're younger, when you're a younger man, you just did what you want as young men and young people tend to do, right? We we tend to think that we're invincible and immortal. And I got all this life ahead of me. He says, when you're a younger man, you, you girded yourself and you, you walked wherever you went, wherever you wished. He says, but when you're old, when you're older, someone else is going to gird you and someone else is going to take you where you don't want to go. 
And, and it's John who then tells us the commentary in that. He said, the reason Jesus was saying that he was signifying by what death Peter was going to die, that he might glorify God. And sure enough, that came to pass. Church history tells us and tradition tells us that Peter was in Rome and he would be martyred for his faith. He didn't die of natural causes. He was killed. He was killed because he was a believer and church history and perhaps even legend would say that Peter was crucified, but he didn't want to be crucified like Christ. He thought he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same way. And so they crucified him upside down at his request. And so he, that came to pass. And, and so Jesus tells him, Peter, when you're younger, you, you, you would go wherever you want. Right. And, and I think about us in our younger, my younger years, the freedom that we had and, but also the foolishness that I, you know, I think an older Rick looking at a younger Rick would be like, don't do that. The rocks that I jumped off the rate of travel that I drove my car. Like there are some stupid things that I did as a younger man. And so Peter somehow is aware of this, that soon his, that promise or that prophecy, that, that thing that Jesus told him, he says, it's going to come to pass. And Peter was aware of this and, and his time is coming closer to the end. And notice with me that in verse 13 and 14, he referred to his physical body as a tent. He says, as I'm in this tent, as I'm in this, this body or tabernacles, some of your translations might even read, I'm going to put off my body. I'm going to put off this tent. And, And he uses that as a metaphor. Tent is a metaphor for his physical body. And a tent by design is something that's temporary. Usually anybody here like camping, like camping, right? Three of you, you like camping? Four of you are. Um, Might be shocking. I don't like camping. I don't like camping. Uh, I agree with uh, comedian um, Jim Gaffigan. I'm what you call indoorsy. (laughs) If you know his bit, the whole thing, like, you know, usually when they use the word happy camper, it's to somebody that's sour, right? Like, oh, just be a happy camper. It's an oxymoron, happy camper, anyways. I've gone camping. I don't like camping. It's not my favorite, but I know what makes the difference. It it can be a good quality tent, right? If you have a good tent, one of those nice ones that pop up, there's like rooms, there's a whole suite, right? The, you know, the new ones are amazing. These tents, but generally a tent is something that's temporary. We set it up for a little bit and you had enough of the mosquitoes and the bugs and eating out of, you know, a bag. And then you go to your real house where there's a bed and a bathroom and air condition. (laughs) A tent is temporary. And that's the, that's the imagery that, that Peter's using. It's the same imagery that the apostle Paul used in second Corinthians when he's talking about that, you know, our, our bodies, our tents groan and we're waiting to be, um, you know, for a, a, a holy and heavenly habitation that the mortal will be replaced by something immortal. Our physical bodies are temporary on our soul in your spirit. It's forever. And Peter recognizes that this life is going, his life is going to pass soon. 
And he says, here's what I want to invest in. I want to make sure as long as I have breath, in fact, even in verse 15, he's going to say, even after I'm gone, this is what I want to make sure gets done. Gang, our, your physical body, it, it's a gift that God's given you. And, and we certainly should be good stewards of all of our gifts, including our health. But I would, I would lovingly mm, challenge, what's the word I want to use? Assert that Peter would say for us that we want to make sure that our investment in the temporary body, in this temporary tent, isn't greater than in our internal soul. Certainly we want to be good stewards. We want to take good care of our health and you want to look good. That, 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 those are important things, but it can be a real challenge for some because you think about how much time and money and energy and investment that we make in this thing called the physical body. Someone once said for every hour of working out, you get an hour of life. In my mind, I think that's a wash. <laughs> that's net zero. <laughs> but we can spend a lot of time and a lot of money. And making this thing look good. First Timothy 4.8 says that physical exercise, bodily training, it's, it's of some profit. It's of some value. Some translations even say little profit. There's a gym on the Bible, um, Bible College campus at Calvary Chapel in the area. It was called the Little Profits Gym. <laughs> There's some value. But weighed against godliness, well... Paul says, Timothy, godliness is of great value in every way for holds the promise of the present life and the life to come. So again, don't, don't misunderstand. God isn't saying that we shouldn't exercise and just go to Mr. Donuts and have at it. But Peter reminds us, uh, you, you know, developing our faith muscles is a better investment than our bigger biceps and buns of steel. That's the idea. And so he writes these things. And I would say in verse 15, as he continues, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And so Peter understood the value of being reminded of the things that he wrote. He says, even after I'm gone, well, I see you, I'm going to remind you. And even after I'm gone, I'm going to set something up. I'm going to put a reminder on your phone so that you will remember all of these things. And, and, and what does that speak to, to me? It speaks to legacy. What does he want to leave? What does he want to invest in while he's alive? And what does he want to leave when he's gone? You know, legacy sometimes has been defined as planting a seed in a garden that you will never see grow. It's been said that it's the, the values that we leave behind are more important than the valuables we leave behind. Which I like that quote. I quoted it to my kids because I have no money. So I'm like, <laughs> these life lessons, children, these are, you know. It's crazy for me. This past year, I turned 50. I pray that God will grant me good health and length of days, but none of us are promised tomorrow. Although 50 is the new 30. So. <laughs> and if you're in Okinawa, we're still super young, right? Especially like <laughs> Um, my dad passed away 2011. My mom passed away 2015. 
interesting, they are both 61. They're young. They're unhealthy though, super unhealthy. But when that happened, it, it was a very sobering uh, reality check of, the, of, you know, just I'm being very mindful of mortality. And in this past two weeks, the same thing happened. The passing of baby Dennis, uh, Toby's passing away. In fact, just yesterday, um, my daughter, Becca, uh, some of you guys know she graduated from Biola, one of her professors, walking her dog, hit by a car and died. It's amazing. Like, I imagine she walked out her door, do her normal routines, right? She has kids and a husband and sad and tragic. And, And so just reminded of these things that life is short. I think we talked about this last week or two weeks ago. James says, what, what is our life? It's but a vapor. It's a mist that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so Peter's words remind us, um, we, we have a, a set limit of time. And, and we want to make the most of that, right? Make the best of the opportunities we have. And death and disease and disaster it has a powerful way of, of, forcing us in a good way to reevaluate our priorities and our pursuits. But gang, we don't have to wait for that though. Right? We don't have to wait for calamity to become the catalyst for our change. Like the word of God can do that. Today's message can do that. Pause us to take a diagnostic, a diagnostic and be like, all right, Lord, what, what adjustments do I need to make? What, what legacy am I building today? I mean, some of you are really young. I mean, you're thinking like, I don't need to think about these things. I, I want to challenge you to think about these things. What are you building in the kingdom of God today? I, I think about it more and more. Like, what am I going to leave behind? What will be the marker of my life in, in people's lives? The ones that I love, that I cared about. What am I going to assure that I'm leaving them with? See, Peter challenges us. And he would say, the gospel is the most important thing. The word of God is the most important inheritance that we can impart and leave for other people. And I pray that all of us are challenged by that. All right.